cast your mind back to two weeks ago. We began what was to be a, a, a series, a four-part series about Jesus and prayer. And uh, obviously illness intervened. And uh, nevertheless, we'll, we'll, continue, uh, we'll continue with this. And so you might remember that we looked at uh, the Lord's Prayer, as it's called. And uh, so I entitled that Jesus' uh, model of prayer. Jesus' model of prayer. He gave a sort of model uh, prayer for those people. For those people at that time, in that place. And you might remember that we noted that there were some crucial, uh, some crucial aspects of prayer missing from that because of where it was set, uh, which is why I argued that it was not a classic prayer for us today, it was not the best prayer or anything like that. Prayers that are filled with mentions of Christ and the Spirit and atonement are better uh, than that one. Uh, so we uh, moved on today to Jesus' doctrine of prayer. So apart from giving us a model prayer, uh, or giving them uh, and us a model prayer, Jesus, Jesus also taught. He taught about prayer itself. And so this is the, the, the doctrine of it. And so how I approach this is to look at a selection of uh, sayings of Jesus while he was incarnate, Ones that are recorded for us, no doubt there was a lot more teaching by Jesus that is not recorded before. Most of this today will be based on what he said. There will also be some elements of example. You know, so when we observe him praying, what, what do we learn? Note that just because it's Jesus Christ teaching here, it does not mean that today that we will cover everything about prayer. Jesus didn't. So that we could, if we wanted to look at prayer more systematically, we would look through the whole scriptures where God um, deals in different ways. So this is just a limited survey of what Jesus taught while he was on this earth. Nevertheless, there is plenty, there is plenty. And so today I will uh, be going through quite quickly these, uh, these points. Uh, so, uh, as, you can, as you can see on, on your sheets, I've divided the message up into three elements. So we have considerations before prayer, things to think about before we even start to pray. Then there are conditions for prayer, so we can't just, we can't just have anyone in the streets just praying to God and expecting him to listen. That's not how it works. There are conditions attached, conditions which have to be met before you can even go in prayer to God. And then lastly, we'll look at the, the content of the prayer. What are, what are some of the things Jesus said we should be praying for? So, that being the case, considerations then before we, we pray. Well, <clears throat> when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, I pointed out that it uses the words uh, our rather than my. So it was given by Jesus to the disciples for use in a corporate setting like this one. So it was when the family of his people got together. That's what it was for. So we know that he encouraged prayer 
like ours today or if we have a prayer meeting, Jesus encouraged that type of prayer, definitely. And on the other hand, to those who perhaps like praying in front of people, what they need to be taught is that they need to go home and pray pray at home in the prayer, in the little private room, the prayer closet, as they used to call it. And so we have that other case where uh, Jesus uh, said, uh, when you pray, don't pray out there so everyone can see you. Go home and pray privately and your Father will see you. So to those people, that's what they needed to hear. If someone is sitting at home today, praying, instead of being here with us, then they are at fault. But Jesus would say to them, you need to pray with the brethren. You need to get out your prayer closet and pray with the brethren as well. So we have, um, we have him given us um, some instruction that prayer should be both with other people and by ourselves. You need brethren, both of those things are important. I remember actually, uh, yeah, Jesus said, uh, at one point he said to the disciples, you wait here, you wait here while I go and pray by myself. So he, he was uh, in the habit of praying um, alone as well as with the disciples. Another thing uh, Jesus taught about things uh, we consider before prayer is that we should remember that God already knows what we're going to pray for before before we ask him. He already knows. What's more, he's already purposed what the answer will be as well. So <clears throat> we need to we need to just um, we need to hold this sort of it might seem like a bit of a contradiction when we pray, but we need to pray um, in, in the attitude that I'm going to pray now and God's going to respond to my prayer. I think that is absolutely uh, a fair way to approach God in prayer. We approach him expecting him to respond. It's just that, really, it's not a response in the way we think. He already knows. The answer's already been perhaps set in motion before you pray. And he's, he's going to be the one to do it. Jesus taught as well that we're to remember our Father wants to give. I'm going to use a scripture for this one. It's in uh, Matthew 7 and verse 11. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11. <clears throat> and uh, I, love, I, love these, uh, I love these sayings of Jesus. Matthew 7 verse 11. Jesus is telling them that, look, a good father on earth, a good father knows how to give gifts to his children. If he, if he asks him for food, the father's not going going to give him something poisonous or harmful. And so verse 11 says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. How much more will our Father? He wants to give, friends. He wants to give. He delights to see us pray. He delights, as it were, to, to shower us 
with gifts. By way of example, um, in terms of this uh, things to think about in prayer, what about location? Are we restricted in location? Now traditionally there would be people who would try to restrict prayer to holy places like temples or churches or chapels and hopefully we don't think that way. We understand from Jesus' example uh, that you can pray anyway, anyway. And uh, Jesus prayed, for example, they saw him go up on a hill a number of times, on a mountain as it was called. <clears throat> they saw him go and pray uh, in the nice garden amongst all the flowers and the trees. Uh, they prayed indoors. Location is not an issue. And posture as well. I thought I would mention a posture. You know, uh, there's been, um, there are feelings about how we should be when we pray. You know, so you, you might, I mean, out of habit, I say, look, I say, friends, let's bow our heads in prayer. That, that's just a figure of speech. I don't mean that we, sh we have to bow our heads. I sometimes do. I sometimes kneel. I'll, I'll, I'll stand up. I'll look up. With my arms near, I'll pray in a number of different ways. And we see Jesus through example, kneeling, standing, uh, and, well, we even see people prostrating themselves on the ground as, you know, as an act of humility. So they're just some of the considerations before prayer has taken place. And they're all from the teachings or the example of Jesus. We come on then to the conditions for prayer. The conditions for prayer. These things need to be satisfied before we should even dare to ask God for anything. And so, well, the first one, we need to, we need to be in Christ. That's important. We need to be in Christ. So, when an unbeliever who is not in Christ uh, prays to God, can God hear him? Yes. Does God, in a way, hear him? Well, he hears him by virtue of his, his omniscience. He knows everything. And of course, he hears the person. But when the Bible says about God hearing our prayers, it means listening with the intention of of entering into some kind of um, activity there with, with the prayer. And so if someone is not in Christ, then they are, I, I would say, they are mostly wasting their time. Now, uh, you, you, you will obviously argue to me that, well, what about, uh, what about a sinner who comes to God in repentance? Yes, of course. God will hear that. that yeah. But that, that is done in Christ as well. Um, so it's in Christ um, it also says Jesus also says this he says um, you can ask and have things answered if you abide in me and my words abide in you so that reinforces the idea that first of all we have to be in him we have to have repented of our sins we have to have uh, we have to have um, joined in this union with God, uh, with Christ, and so we are in Him. 
uh, but also that his words are in us. His words. Now, for us principally, it's the, it's the words in the Bible because this is the gift God has given to us. Throughout most of the history of the world, people haven't owned a Bible like we have it today. And so we are greatly privileged and we should take advantage of that. We are blessed by God, we are in these latter days, and so we let the word of God dwell in us richly. And Jesus says, do that, and ask, and whatever you ask will be given. It's a bold thing to say. So we're in Christ, we, 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 we pray to the Father, Jesus says, we pray to the Father in his name. He says previously, you haven't prayed to God in my name, but now I want you to. Now I want you to pray to the Father in my name. Invoke the name of Jesus. Claim that authority for you to attach to your prayer to, to, to the Father in heaven. <clears throat> Interestingly, in terms of the answers to our prayer, uh, although he says to pray to the Father, he says that the answer comes from the Father and him. And we, we, we can assume, therefore, that the Holy Spirit is included. The answers to our prayers is, is a, uh, like the prayer itself. It's a Trinitarian arrangement. So, this, this, um, this next one is, is, uh, is maybe one of the most surprising to me, which is that you believe. Now, if, if you pray, there are obviously varying degrees of faith when you pray. Sometimes you'll pray with great faith and sometimes with very little. But Jesus says to his disciples that you must believe and that your faith, your faith is connected to the answer in that if you, if you are praying but you think, well, I don't, I'm not really sure of God, no, I don't think this is going to happen, if you have all these doubts, you might as well give up, have a cup of tea, and come back the next day. Jesus says that whatever desires you have, whatever holy desires you have, he says, believe that you will receive them, and you will. You can see why that is really, I find that quite powerful, and, you know, to, to say that believe that you already have them, if you like, and God will give them to you. It's, a, it's quite an incredible promise, really. But we need to believe, we need to be in Christ, and we need to have faith. And unfortunately, <laughs> in a way, it is through answered prayer that we get the faith to pray in faith. So in other words, you get an answer to prayer, it emboldens you, you go, Lord, you've done that, maybe you'll do this as well. And it's like your faith increases and then God answers that prayer and you go back to him and say, and you say, Lord, I know now you answer my prayers, right? So I've got a list. And people can have a victorious prayer life. But until that sort of cycle begins, you have people saying, Lord, would you give me this thing? No, okay. And you come back the next day with even less, less uh, hope of answered prayers. And so we need to really foster that uh, real belief uh, and pray for it that he'll answer us. 
Here's another one we'll use as a scripture example for. It's to do with forgiveness. If you have a look in Mark 11 and verse 25. Mark 11 and verse 25. Now, Mark 11, 25, this very same uh, issue was brought up when we looked at uh, prayer two weeks ago to do with forgiveness and this verse says Jesus says whenever you stand note whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses you come to prayer you, someone comes to mind Someone has wronged you. So, what do you do? You find a way to forgive them. You forget, find a way to forgive them. And if not, again, don't carry on. Why would you carry on? You're told here that that is a condition. You must forgive others. If you don't want to forgive others, you could keep talking to God. But he won't forgive you and you won't feel that sense of forgiveness and you know you will be in you will be in trouble. So there is that forgiveness of others. That is a prerequisite for answer prayer. Here's another one. Humility. Humility. And I use that example because Jesus gave the story, the yeah, doesn't matter whether it happened or not, it's that's irrelevant. Jesus gave this story of two men who went into a, uh, well, today it would be a church, and of course, one of them, one of them, of course, went up to the front because he belonged at the front, because he was a, a righteous person. So, of course, he sat at the front. No commentary on you, where you're sitting today, don't panic. But you know, this guy, oh, of course, I go up to the front and uh, he starts praying with himself. Not with God, says he prays with himself. Lord, thank you. I thank you for all you've done for me. You've uh, enabled me to do this and get tithes and do this and do that. Thank you, I'm not like him at the back, at the back where he belongs. I thank you, I'm not like him, you know, because he sins, you know. And so he's just, what an awful, awful man in every respect. Why he choose, chose to sit at the front, why he chose to pray, and he was praying to in his own head, why he chose to um, emphasize his good works, and why he chose to emphasize another person's sinfulness, perhaps to make him look better. What an awful man! And at the back, Jesus shows us there's a humble man, there's a humble man at the back. He sits at the big back because he thinks that's where he should be out of the sight of everyone and he just he repents and he says Lord forgive me I'm a sinner have mercy on me I am a sinner and that friends is the picture Jesus gave of absolute humility and that's what he wants Jesus wants us to approach him in humility we don't go telling him how great we are we um, <laughs> We don't go dressing up our uh, pride in the language of thanksgiving like this man did. 
I thank you, Lord, that I'm so great at being a Christian. I thank you. I'm so holy. And so you can see how he tries to disguise it. But a condition for prayer, Jesus said, is humility. And the last condition I would mention is found in John's Gospel, in chapter 15. <clears throat> John's Gospel, chapter 15 and verse 16. So we have example after example with Jesus of where he says, if you have this correct attitude, you will get what you ask for. He doesn't say you might, he says you will. Now if we were to examine all the scriptures, we would come across other principles as well, which says that you know you need to be thinking about the will of God. Are our prayers in accordance with the will of God? It has to be that. I can't pray for a Ferrari and say, well, Lord, I've met all these conditions now. I would like my Ferrari. Obviously, you're not praying in the will of God. But the last one is to do with fruit. It's linked in in verse, um, verse 16 of John 15. It says, John 15, 16, You did not choose me, choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear forth and bear fruit. That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide last. So that, for this purpose, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So it's another incredibly bold, bold um, promise of Christ Jesus's. That if we are in Christ, then we must produce fruit. We must produce fruit in terms of how we think, how we behave, everything. Our words will be affected and there will be good fruit come from the presence of the Spirit in us. And Jesus says, that I've chosen you and ordained you. In other words, I've saved you for good works. So let's see them good works. Let them remain. Let them carry on throughout your life. In order that when you pray, you will get an answer from God. He's laying down another condition for prayer. So he says, you're about to pray. Just remember, are you in Christ? Do you have faith? Do you not have any business towards anyone else when you pray? Are you humble in your prayer? And is your life, does your life show fruit that you belong to Christ indeed? We look then finally at the content, the content of prayer. The content. So I said to you with this, the so-called Lord's Prayer, which I said should be the disciples' prayer, perhaps. I said that there were still elements in there that should be in our prayers today, in our modern prayers. They should be. So we, we, we still address God, don't we? we? We say, Lord, Almighty God, we address God. We, we, we ask for things like the influence of God's heavenly kingdom on this earth. 
that he might influence this earth in that way, that his kingdom might come, as it were. We ask for provisions. We ask for, you know, material needs as well as spiritual needs. We ask for forgiveness for sin. And we ask for help so that we don't sin anymore. That's what we want. Those, those, those elements in that prayer of his stand. They, they, they should be in our prayers today. But what else? What else? While he was on earth, what else did he say? Prayer is to be used for. Well, here's one in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And the second verse. He encourages us to pray for evangelists. Evangelists. So, Luke 10 and verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. God's elect people are out there somewhere. Somewhere. Most of them don't know it. Most of them have no idea that God is going to bring them into his kingdom at some point. Their lives are going to be turned upside down. We don't know who they are. But God says in any generation there are people out there that he wants us to reach. And so that's why indiscriminately we go out with the gospel as much as possible and broadcast it uh, in any way we can. And here he says pray for evangelists. This is something we should pray for. Not just pray, not just pray that God would help us evangelise, although that's what we should do. Not just pray that God would somehow save them, but actively pray that God would raise up people to be evangelists. Jesus also says that we should use prayers to pray for our enemies. It's a hard one. Pray for our enemies. Now, we alluded to this when we talked about forgiveness. Forgiveness, you know, that includes enemies. You know, if we don't like them, we need to make sure we somehow forgive them. But uh, he says very specifically in, in this, uh, in uh, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called, he says, <clears throat> pray for your enemies. Not pray that God will kill them. Pray for their benefits, for their good. He, he says, pray for those who despitefully uh, use you and persecute you. With, 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 we are talking here about the, the, the real hardcore enemies of God, whatever they might be. I mean, it's dead easy for me to stand here and announce what Jesus says about praying for enemies. Now you take me in a few years time and let's say some, some anti-Christian group uh, has, um, has killed my family, slaughtered my family. Um, and then see, and then see how confident I am about this. Because friends, um, not perhaps when the 
not perhaps when the New Testament was finished, but very soon afterwards, there were a series of persecutions that went on for hundreds of years and were only brought about by, uh, by the, um, through the reign of Constantine in the 4th century. But there'd been, uh, there'd been nearly a dozen different uh, massive persecutions. I won't go into what happened, but, you know, how did these Christians pray for those enemies? Lord, we pray for so-and-so who killed my family. How, how would we do that? I don't know. But Jesus says, do it. And I pray none of us are ever in that situation. But we remember it. Jesus also says that use your prayers to pray for strength. We spoke before about when Jesus uh, went to pray and he said to the disciples, can you just wait here because I need to pray by myself for a while. So he goes and prays. And then when he comes back, <clears throat> he says, get up, let's rise, let's pray in case you enter into temptation. So he's, he's telling them there that prayer is to be used for strength. You to, you to pray for strength from, from God to, to, um, to combat all the uh, temptation that comes your way throughout the day. He tells us we should use prayer to pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, when I, when I, did, uh, when I did our reading from Matthew 7, Jesus says there that, remember, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things? Now, another rendering of that, either, I don't know if it's the same thing, if it's a different occasion, but it's reported elsewhere that Jesus says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And to me, that suggests that of all the things we can ask for of God, that is one of the chief ones, that we pray for the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a believer, and everyone in this room professes to be a believer, you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit living inside you right now. That is true. But there are also measures of the Spirit, or degrees of how the Spirit in you influences you. So when the Scriptures say, Lord, pour out your Spirit, you know, we pray for your Spirit, we're praying really that the Spirit within us would have a greater influence over how we act. And the more influence the Spirit has, the more we will feel that fruit of the Spirit, the more we will experience that, uh, and the more uh, just effective we'll be in serving Christ. So we pray for the Holy Spirit, make that a habit, friends. We note also that uh, Jesus, uh, this is by way of example, Jesus taught that prayers for giving thanks. And so um, thanksgiving is perhaps underrated in the church because everyone thanks God, but I don't think everyone appreciates the, the, uh, the importance and the value, the usefulness of giving thanks. Um, I've been off work and I'm back in on Monday, tomorrow. Oh, that's just depressing. Isn't it? Back in tomorrow. And so I was feeling sorry for myself at home, you know, like you do. And I turned it round and I prayed and I thanked God. 
And I try to thank God for as much as possible about that job. But Lord, I thank you that I have a job to go to. I thank you we live in a society where I can have a job and an income and look after my family. I thank you, Lord, that I have the mobility to get to that place. I thank you for the transport I have. I thank you that I have the mental faculties to cope with the job itself. I thank you that I work in a place where most people are friendly. I thank you that I sit in a corner of the room where I have a giant window and I can look out over quite a pretty scene. And on it went. And like I said to Karen on the way here, you thank God abundantly for things. It's impossible to feel aggrieved. It's impossible to feel lack of contentment. So thankfulness at every opportunity is so useful. And Jesus, um, Jesus um, gave us the example by, well, amongst other things, every time he ate or drank something, he gave thanks. He, he gave thanks, he broke bread, he gave thanks for this, he gave thanks. So he, he set the example. And from a couple of things which we also saw from last time, uh, Jesus says, uh, don't babble, don't babble in your prayers. It's not something we, we, we get a lot of in the evangelical world, you know, this sort of um, babbling on and on. And, but, but certainly that's, that's something he taught. And alongside that, if you remember, Jesus said, you know, don't use prayer. <clears throat> don't use prayer to show off. Don't use it to show off. So, so um, I think I said to you that in our in our situation, in our church situation, the, the the temptation for us is that when we pray publicly, that we try to impress people, um, and and that's that's a very um, maybe common temptation. It's to it's to impress people with our, with our prayers, and so we're not want to show off. Uh, as I said, I, I, that Lord's Prayer, you know, was an example. That I, I read that out and it took less than 60 seconds. And so um, uh, Jesus did pray for longer than that, but certainly it's not. Uh, uh, he, he certainly made the point that you can pray short prayers as well. Um, so I thought it was quite interesting that when he was, uh, when he was talking about not showing off in prayer, uh, he says, don't be like those who stand in the synagogue and on the street corners. They're praying because they know they live in a culture where they will get respect for praying in public. They will be thought of more highly of. And Jesus says, they'll have a greater damnation. How awful. The people who prayed the most in the streets will receive a greater damnation. Because it was all to glorify themselves and not God. J.C. Ryle, a lot of you might know J.C. Ryle, and uh, I read his book called Holiness. Holiness. And he said something quite surprising in that book. He said that prayer is more important than the Bible. And I felt a bit uncomfortable with that because I've tried to hold the two things as, as equal. You know, one is God speaking to me, and the other one is me speaking to God, and that's our two-way communication, and, and that is true. But I, 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 I get 
I get what, what he means. Um, like I said earlier, most, most of God's people throughout history have not had a Bible uh, the way we do, but they've had prayer. They've had revelation, they've had prayer. And so J.C. Ryle says it's really, really important. And I, I thought I'd give you this quote. It's, it's just in prayer, about prayer in general. But this quote by J.C. Ryle, he says this, he says, what is the cause of most backsliding? I believe, as a general rule, one of the chief causes is neglect of private prayer. Of course, the secret history of falls, spiritual falls, will not be known till the last day. I can only give my opinion as a minister of Christ and a student of the heart. That opinion is, I repeat distinctly, the backsliding generally first begins with neglect of private prayer. And I, uh, I, I fully agree with him when he says that. And so this is why I encourage people constantly, encourage them all the time to, to pray and to make sure they find a home, find some way of setting up your little prayer room, wherever it might be. For me, I have a room I can go in, I shut the door, I put a sign on the outside, do not disturb, and everyone knows. You, you don't knock on that door unless someone is about to die, or something, or the dog, dog's not well. Something really, really important. And so, friends, I would encourage you to do that somehow. Find that place, make that time, and so your prayer life is not made up just of short, short prayers in your head throughout the day, but also uh, extended prayers because there's so much to, there's so much to pray for. Be continual in prayer. Be frequent in prayer, and let it be, uh, let it be, the very breath that you breathe out. Be in prayer constantly. Amen.